Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema for your free 30-day trial. Go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. As always, I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. Well, as always, except for last week, I'm your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today, we have last week's host, Michael Snydell. <laughs> Hello. We have Bill Graham. Woo! And joining us again after talking about Mission Impossible Fallout and Dragged Across Concrete, it's Josh Lewis. Uh, hi, everyone. How is it going, Josh? It's going great. That's Happy fantastic. to be here to talk about some more uh, fucked up shit, I guess. Is that. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, are we allowed all... to swear on this show? I don't remember. Oh, yeah. Wait, are you fucking okay. kidding me? Everyone always <laughs> asks this. That's how I know that, like, some people who are guests, like, haven't listened to the show, which is totally yeah. fine, but it's just like if you've listened to one episode. It's particularly hey, if I've you've been listened on this to show twice and I didn't before. remember. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I was. It's just. Hilarious. I want people to start asking that before they come on, and then it's just like, send them the Toy Story 4 episode. <laughs> Our paradoxically most vulgar episode of all time. Yeah. Anyway. I was almost going to send that to my mom, but then you just had to open your mouth, Brian. <laughs> I think that was kind of me. It, yeah, I like. I feel like Bill really like pushed us over the edge, but I was not holding back either. But, you know, it's 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 fine. It's not like we were talking about, like, menstrual blood and pubic hair you know it was just a lot of fucks and shits and uh some other stuff and speaking of pubic hair (laughs) (laughs) we are here today to talk about midsummer the newest film from hereditary director (laughs) writer director ari aster uh before we get into that the usual nonsense find us on twitter at film stage show facebook the film stage show find us on itunes give us a comment or rating email us podcast at thefilmstage.com and of course, um, you can go to patreon.com slash the film stage show to give us your money. You will automatically get access to our super cool Slack channel and also get first crack at all the raffles we do for as little as $1 an episode. You can help us create more awesome shit and uh, defray the cost of doing this podcast. And what else? We are, of course, brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema, where every day their fantastic curators give you a brand new film to watch. You have 30 days to watch each film, so that's a constantly rotating selection of 30 films to check out. Uh, we got some cool stuff on there. Uh, 2011's The Loneliest Planet just dropped today. Um, that's a hell got, of a movie. That is a hell of a movie. <laughs> it, it, this one's a little weird. It's Robert Altman's 2000 movie, Dr. T and the Women. It's, has anyone seen that? I know of its existence. I, I forget it's Altman every time, though. I forget that too, because like the the the, I feel like the poster was just like Richard Gere looking up into the sky and smiling as like a rain of women's faces was arrayed around him. Um. Anyway, uh, the synopsis is as such: Doctor Sullivan Travis is a man at the top of his game, a successful Dallas gynecologist whose religion is women. And sure enough, as in the story of Job, one day a higher force decides to test his faith. Once a man in complete control of his universe, Dr. T now finds himself buffeted by chaos. 
It's Robert Altman. I think I remember Roger Ebert giving that film four stars, but that is a weird movie that I feel like has been lost to the sands of time. <laughs> but check it out. It's a movie that doesn't exist, but it is now on Mubi. And for your free 30-day trial, all you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mubi.com slash filmstage for a free 30-day trial of Mubi. And that's it. We are now free to talk Midsummer, the newest film from writer-director Ari Aster. Previously, in our summer theaters last year, talking, or talking about, <laughs> with Hereditary, uh, Midsummer is a movie about a group of Americans who go to a remote Swedish uh, commune in order to take part in their Midsummer festivities, and as uh, bad shit happens to them. You forgot the triangles. There's there are a, lots of triangles. A lot of triangles. Uh, we're going to have to have like 40 minutes of this podcast just devoted to runes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, this movie stars... Uh, okay, who wants to help me out with this name? Is it Pew or Poe or... Pew. I think it's Pew. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought, Pew. but I was just like, that can't be right. Florence like Pew, Pew. Pew. Yeah, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper from The Good Place... Uh, Wilhelm Blomgren and Will Poulter. And here is the trailer. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, to do it. I don't mind it. you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? All right. That is the opening salvo of the trailer for Midsummer. Let's talk about it. Uh, I want to, j- just because, I don't know, I kept myself pretty pure for this movie. I didn't really watch any trailers. Didn't really read any reviews. So I want to do our classic one-word synopsis, yes or no, should people go see this movie? Let's start with Josh. Yes or no, should people go see this movie? Uh, absolutely. All right. Michael Snydell. Sure. <laughs> Great. Uh, Will Graham. This is going to be fun. I can already tell. <laughs> Definitely in a theater. <laughs> All right. Uh, and I will say yes, 100%. Um, so here we are. We're going to talk about this movie. As always, we'll start with our nutshell reviews and then uh, move on and deeper and deeper into a spoiler section. Let's start with Josh Lewis. Um, you weren't here for our thoughts on Hereditary, so why don't you kick us off with uh, what you thought of Hereditary and how you think Midsummer acts as a follow-up. Well, I was actually going to ask you guys what you guys thought of Hereditary, because I should have went and listened to your episode on Hereditary to get an idea. I know that Michael was Then you would have known that we curse. you. <laughs> yeah exactly i should have went back and checked uh, i had an interesting relationship with hereditary because i kind of caught it a little bit later than some folks i kind of caught it at the tail end of its theatrical run after it had been kind of talked to death i kind of avoided it because i was a little uh, i will say i was a little sick of this idea of what are they call they're calling it elevated, elevated horror. horror yeah, yeah. take a drink the, <laughs> the discourse around it is enough to make me not want to go watch it and the last one that i watched i hated i can't remember what it, the, it comes at night that film for whatever reason i couldn't yeah handle that one that was the one that everyone who targeted the idea of elevated horror that was the one that i understood what people were saying when they talked about it so when i went to go see hereditary everyone was giving it a lot of similar praise it was a lot of 
this is an effective allegory for grief in a horror setting. And the director's talking about how it's not really a horror movie. And I was like, Oh my God. Uh, (laughs) Well, what's funny. I don't want to, I don't want to derail you, but I feel like it comes at night hereditary and this movie. I I can very clearly see even horror buffs being like, well, that's not really a horror movie. Yeah. Well, and, and, but I mean, you could also say the same thing of something like the Babadook. Uh, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess the witch I would say is a little bit more, horror like elemental horror than Mm -hmm. some of the other ones that's like classic Um, creature in the woods type of stuff you said that wrong it's the vitch (laughs) god damn it we're already we're already getting started here this is getting nuts Um, but anyway the thing about hereditary that struck me was that i thought that the praise of it was all wrong i couldn't believe it i was like I I did not understand at all how people thought that that was like a really like, you know, powerful allegory for, you know, like familial grief or or fallout. And I I didn't really understand that that was the read people got on the film, mostly because I felt that it was one of the most like cruelly cynical nihilistic films that I had seen. And I couldn't believe that it was even being put in the same box as something like the Babadook, which, you know, has, you know, a great you know, has a, a great lead performance, Jennifer Kent's film, um, you know, about someone coming to terms with their own grief. Whereas I thought Tony Collette, as good as she is in that film, I thought that Astor's sense of almost obnoxious awareness of his construction of film was making a kind of meat grinder and putting his characters through it. I thought that, that film was a really compelling apocalyptic version of watching for almost two and a half hours lambs trying to avoid being pushed into the slaughter. <laughs> and to me, that completely undermined any reading of the film as, you know, this like emotionally powerful experience about the family unit and, you know, in times of crisis. And I thought almost intentionally so that it was, you know, kind of a more bizarre, uncomfortable really uh you know violent farce and i think as we maybe transition into midsummer that i I think i was kind of proven right (laughs) because midsummer i think a lot of people are picking up on how intentionally funny it is Mm -hmm. um in in ways that i didn't see any acknowledgement of for hereditary and i mean if we go back to for example the telephone pole scene that got a lot of notoriety for hereditary i thought that was like I mean, it wasn't knee slappingly funny, but I thought it was so cruel to the point of farce. Um, and that for me is how that film played. And that's also how I think that this film um, kind of plays. And I think whether that works for you or not and whether is going to be uh, an entirely different conversation. But for me, I really enjoyed Hereditary and going into this film, I was very excited um, and very much expecting a really uh, farcical violently punishing film and i think the results were uh, pretty much what i expected all right so let's all of us uh start off our reviews with reminding people of what we thought of hereditary um michael snydell what were what am I, you refresh us on your thoughts of hereditary and then sure. tell us what you thought of midsummer yeah you know i uh i'd have to go back to the actual episode but uh i do know that i rewatched it this week and i went down uh, a half letter or a uh, half a star. And then I know that I went down a half a star at the end of last year as well. So I was at three and a half, I think when we did it the first time, uh, I, I think that I was kind of snookered into 
some of the grief stuff. And I, I think that's what made some of the more obsessive, like dramatic craft as, as Josh kind of referred to it, uh, more frustrating. Like it, it's, it, it, there are individual moments that I think are really, really strong and really, really raw. Like, I, I guess that's, what's really strange about the violence, both now and hereditary and midsummer is that, you know, these are very, uh, raw lingering moments but they're also stylized to how and, and that's that's a very weird uh relationship with with violence um and, and i must say that for midsummer without getting into any spoilers uh i kind of hated the first 15 minutes of this and then i i liked it a lot more as it was kind of playing with um you know kind of more uh, familiar ideas of cultural tourism and xenophobia and, you know, fear of bodies. And, and some of this stuff I, I think is more interesting than where it ultimately ends up. I think, it's, 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 I think ultimately once you get into meat grinder mode to take another thing from Josh, I, I think it's, it's difficult to have some of the more philosophical conversations that I think this, could potentially have and the curiosity it could potentially have that kind of gets squashed under the other stuff. But like on a purely visceral level, like I didn't find this to be a slog at all, which uh, my rewatch of hereditary was really kind of a, a slog for me. So yeah, I enjoyed this, but I just, uh, I wish there was a little more to chew on um, as far as what's in the movie, as opposed to what's kind of around it. I can be more specific in spoilers. All right. Bill Graham. Yeah, I really enjoyed this film from beginning to end. Um, I didn't know really what to expect, and it turns into more of a procedural um, than I was kind of uh, thinking that this was going to uh, kind of unravel and, and turn into. Um, I find his films very, very clued in on, like, I guess – I don't know how much research he does, but you know, looking into Payman, the demon that is kind of the focus of Hereditary. Excuse and me, then, Bill. It's King Payman. Oh, my bad. My bad. I, I forgot. He's royal. Bad. Damn it. Yes. yes. Sorry, King Payman. Uh, please forgive me. Um, yes, and so like all of that stuff. Like we we had a lot of fun like reading into that stuff and like learning about uh King Payman and all of that stuff. And so I just feel like he's bringing a level of just uh, of just giving a fuck into these films that like whether you really dig the horror aspects, whether you deal dig kind of the allegorical uh, festivities that are are kind of all over these films, whether you give a shit about any of that stuff, it doesn't necessarily matter if you can also like just geek out about like seeing these rituals actually play out in front of you. You know, things that we've likely never seen, hopefully, you know, um, I don't know what, what y'all's history with King Payman and, uh, and, uh, we're close. I'm actually close with King Payman. <laughs> He's part of my D and D group. Yeah. He's uh, real good as you can you know, imagine. I, I don't know. I don't know how often y'all, y'all visit Scandinavian countries or, or anything like that, but you know, like 
this stuff is really cool to actually see play out in in real time and you know done on a budget that doesn't seem like it was shot on a back lot anywhere it seems like it was shot like out in a country um and yeah like it's beautiful it looks great it sounds amazing and I just dig this kind of filmmaking, whether you ultimately are satisfied by the storytelling choices or not. Like this is just classic movie making kind of on the big screen. Right. And that's why I said, like, I recommend seeing this on the big screen. Cause I think that's, that's definitely the best way to experience this film and hereditary as well. Yeah. You're going to want that surround sound for this movie. I just want to, guys, I just want to plug real quick our our last episode, which you already spoke of. Our guest on that was actually Justine Smith, and she knew a lot about demonology and kind of did some serious research into it. Yeah, and on it was our, a great conversation. Right. She was on our Hereditary episode. Yes. Yeah. Which is fantastic. And I listened to today to uh, try to remember what we all thought of Aster and uh, Hereditary. Um, I really liked it. I found it to be one of the more affecting in whatever way you choose to deem it <laughs> movies of that year. Um, I thought that it was a good allegory for grief and on top of being like an interesting kind of view at the way that like our lives are shaped by and large by things that we can't control. And um, I just like, yeah, there's so much about that movie where it was just like, remember the part when this shit happened <laughs> <laughs> and See, I, I I feel like that is what stands out to me about about Aster. I mean, as as much as people talk about a lot of, you know, he's he's hitting on these, you know, kind of like uh, emotionally uh, these emotional strains and these and 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 themes. I think the thing that eventually does stick out to me, anyway, is just how carefully psychotically hellbent he is on <laughs> dishing out bodily harm. And to me, that is like what that seems to me like the only thing he envisions almost as um a solution as an answer and i i think it is with a little bit of like you know with a, a sadness and a pain to it but i also think he's coming to a conclusion of yeah i think both films come to a kind of begrudging acceptance of it as an inevitability which is you know really bleak point of view and i think it reveals <laughs> something about aster that kind of freaks me out a little bit and i think we should check on his family and make sure that they're alive <laughs> i was about to say they they were actually all murdered seven years yeah. ago <laughs> yeah, exactly. and he is still dealing with that shit um it it's like um it, it's sort of that same thing and I'm sure that this is something that has happened a lot in the past with people who, who create movies like this. But I remember it comes at night. Trey Edward Schultz talked about that movie coming out of, um, I think a death in the family and midsummer, I think Ari Aster said came about partially because of a breakup and hereditary seems like it's pretty deeply tied to like losing family members and stuff. And it's just like this whole, this and whole not being like that sad about it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's like this whole generation of filmmakers, a little sad, <laughs> who are like, something has happened to me, and I must art it, um, and I will art it not in a Manchester by the Sea kind of way where I address it directly, but rather in a horror movie that I will then claim is not a horror movie. To that end, though, but I, I will get some cathartic bloodletting in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I if I just have one person shoot, stab, or otherwise murder someone, that's going to help a lot. Um, a real smashing success <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> um 
So walking into this movie, I, I I kept thinking about Hereditary and this concept of like, is it horror? Is it elevated horror? If the person doesn't think it's horror, what does that mean about them? And I think that like I, when I think of a horror movie, I think of like monsters and demons and violence. But one of the movies that I remember feeling the most horrified and scared during was Manchester by the Sea. Um, because it hit so close to home for me in so many ways and because I was just really worried about what was going to happen. And so I can see the concept of like a drama that's so raw that it feels like it could be classified as a horror movie because life is inherently terrifying. <laughs> and I think Midsummer, in a lot of ways is, is a lot less of a horror movie even than Hereditary was. And I I enjoyed the shit out of this movie. I thought that it was just amazing, funny. Like, it's two and a half hours long, and it literally, like, I just could have spent, like, another hour in this world just observing this, this shit going on. Hey, guys, thumbs up to the runtime. Thumbs okay. up. Okay, we were going to have what? to address that with you at some point. <laughs> what? <laughs> Bill's going to oh, have man. some crazy statement about, like, this movie, what I love about this movie is how tight it is. <laughs> <laughs> how efficient it is. Like that time that you like chastise us for calling Infinity War almost three hours, but you're like, guys, guys, it's only 245. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still feel like I need some super fan to map out like exactly when you decide that a movie is too long and when you don't. <laughs> it's it's pretty superficial it's when i enjoy it and when i stop enjoying it it's too fucking <laughs> but there long have even been movies where you're like i really enjoyed this not a fan of the fact that it's two hours and 15 minutes <laughs> i think they could have cut 15 minutes and just given me that two hours um but yeah this i mean like the colors are great the i love just the sets are amazing this uh this film was primarily shot i think in budapest hungary um and it's just great that they have like this massive field with all these beautiful, weirdly constructed buildings. And it's just such a strange, tactile, like fun movie to be in. And one of the things that I love most about it is that like, it's as, <laughs> it's as though like someone who doesn't speak English has walked into a cult complex where they've just written out everything and just this poor person who like is French and doesn't speak a lick of English is like, Oh, what do all these mean? And people are just, Oh, they're rude. They're just, don't worry about it. It's great. You're going to be fine. Even though there's like literally a tapestry over there talking about how we're going to destroy your soul. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. And there's something just deeply comic about that. And also wonderfully upfront and just great. Like one of my issues with hereditary was that it, functioned as a mystery and in the end it, it firmly landed on one side of that being a thing and in this movie he it's like he saw the reaction to hereditary and was like oh not only are people cool with the weird occult shit but they want it like up front <laughs> yes. so i can just yes. start this one with runes and tapestries and laurels and just rock from there and how do you I feel went, about mind-altering drugs <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, let's do it. At some point, I was like, well, everyone, stop taking mushrooms. <laughs> stop drinking the, de- the, the tea. The decor is weird enough without them. Just <laughs> yes. yes, the plants are breathing. Please stop. <laughs> the man, like, the, the man in the, the dress with the pure white hair is strange enough without tripping while being next to him. All right? Like, maybe we can just chill. Every time that they were like, here, drink this. It's like, will you fucking stop it? <laughs> like, you're worried about offending these people, but you're standing around in your keds. You're vaping like crazy. <laughs> and oh, that's I was, okay. That's, I was expecting that that one sequence where Will Porter like vapes right into that guy's face. I was waiting for him to be like, "That's a strange substance. It smells like heaven." What is that? <laughs> So I also want to say that I think the inclusion of Will Poulter's character is a stroke of genius because Hereditary could be darkly, archly funny in a certain way. But like the performances of everyone were so grounded in the actual emotions of everything that they were feeling that it sometimes felt mean to be laughing at them. Sure. But Will Poulter... As this jeans tucked into socks, horn dog vape machine, who upon hearing some horrifying shit is like, oh man, that's what you let me sleep through that? Like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> he is the perfect, like, fool to stick out in the middle of this movie and help you feel all right laughing at a lot of the things that happen. And uh, so, yeah, in general, midsummer, great time at the movies. Bring your friends. Uh, be prepared to talk a little bit afterwards. I went and saw this movie with my friend Caitlin. Shout out to Caitlin. She listens to the show. Ooh. And um, yeah, it's like afterwards we we like we just started laughing. We were like, good, good movie. Like that's a good time at the movies. <laughs> uh, one caveat, I think, to this recommendation, and uh, I I have to address this because this this tweet that i made leaving the film has since gone viral and been retweeted by a24 Uh-oh. um if, are, are you doing the payroll now josh yeah yeah I, well yeah you know what like i'm i'm doing the first reform challenge on air now did they send drinking, you a free shirt <laughs> not yet but i'm waiting i'll give them my address uh but if your relationship doesn't have a strong foundation <laughs> go see spider-man just go see something else. It's not it's not the right time um, because I watched a couple break up within seconds uh, with it's, it still said Ari Aster directed by on the screen uh, while I was watching that happening. So wait, uh, so like wait, what, more, how did that more. happen? <laughs> what like did the guy turn to the girl and be like, look, look, this needs to end. I don't want to I don't want I don't want this to happen to us. No, I, I, I kid you not. What happened was the guy stood up, he looked at her, and he said, I don't know that he deserved that. <laughs> wow. And, and she fired back instantly uh, with lots of rage. That is rich coming from you of all people. Whoa! That is like legitimately a scene in this movie. <laughs> yes. That is. is great. Wait, oh man, that's a, that's a great one. <laughs> I um, so we're gonna have to get into spoilers to talk about it oh. truly. But apparently, <laughs> after a screening of this movie where the cast was in attendance, uh, that concept came up of of what? whether or not a certain character deserved a certain thing to happen to them. Um, mm-hmm. 
And anyway, so what what did I what did I want to say? What did I want to say about this movie that was non spoiler that we could talk about? I don't know. I it's weird. People keep talking about. Well, this is also a spoiler thing, but like I've heard people talking about Dogville in relation to this movie. I've seen it because like, the director brought it up himself. Yeah. That's just so weird to me because this is fucking nothing like Dogville, as far as I'm concerned. What, I've never if, seen if, Dogville. If, yeah, I've <laughs> seen Dogville. Oh, you've never seen Dogville. Yeah, yeah. That okay. should not be surprising to any of our various. You listeners. haven't sought out that very obscure Nicole Kidman Lars von Trier movie where there are no sets. <laughs> I I do understand where he's coming from, but only directly with the ending of the film. Yeah, because there is an act that happens in both of these films that the film builds to, and it is. I mean, it shouldn't even be a spoiler to anyone that you know this this. Uh, the hereditary guy's version of the wicker man ends in violence in some capacity. Uh, the, the film, I think he brought up Dogville in the, with the idea that that movie engages you and helps you understand why someone would do something that is like, you know, without context looks objectively terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he he's aiming for a similar uh, effect with this film at the end. But again, we can't really get too deep into that until we hit the right. spoiler section. I think, so. I think the issue there is that you could then say that any movie that contextualizes a final cathartic act of otherwise senseless violence is exactly the same. Because like Dogville is reaching into a lot of stuff that this movie doesn't concern itself with. Oh, it also has sets. <laughs> You can also say Wicker Man, and that could be a spoiler, because this is basically a remix of Wicker Man, which is not a bad thing, but... Have you man, finally watched the Wicker I Man? I did. I did. The original? Watch. I did. Robin Hardy's, yes. Okay. Has Great everyone minute. here seen Robin Hardy's Wicker Man? Mm-hmm. Bill? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's it's really good. <laughs> it's under two hours. You should love it. I, I'll, I'll go seek it out. No, but, uh, but like, seriously, like... I I, th- I think uh, Scott Defoy <laughs> was actually talking about this earlier. Is like this is a glorified remake, which isn't a bad thing, but it's just so weird that he both talks about Wicker Man and also is like, but I like Bergman too, because <laughs> it, it's it's well, Wicker Man. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I, I will say when we get into spoilers on this that I I do think that he does subvert. Wicker Man in oh, an interesting yeah. capacity. Sure. Uh, mostly, be, I mean, I'm just saying, like plot-wise, it does kind of have, you know, outsiders go into a rural community that, uh, you know, eventually reveals itself to, you know, maybe have some underlying cult-like behavior that at first seems a little quirky and eventually is less quirky and more scary. Um, <laughs> well, and, think- and, and 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 it culminates in a final. Uh, uh, act of violence <laughs> i think uh that, I is, think that the, is similar <laughs> the smart thing about this movie though is that like the like in the wicker man um the point what howie like police sergeant he's a police detective or something how he goes to this island no idea what the fuck is going on he's like <laughs> yeah. why are there children naked why are people jumping over fires and here's christopher lee to to tell me some shit and um, it's a great movie, by the way. You should watch it. Uh, why are there like naked people singing? And everyone's so like, repressed. "Dude, just needs- chill! <laughs> like this is our home and our lives. Like back the fuck down." And at least in this movie, everyone shows up and they're like, "I am fully aware that I'm going to a midsummer and I will see some shit and take some mushrooms and it's gonna be nuts." Like, I the 
the fact that it's not like, oh, these poor hikers were lost and they're here and now we're just going to hang out. Like, it gives them a reason to stay and a reason to be a little more credulous than we usually get in these movies. Which, again, I think is 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 great. Like, these people are walking in with their eyes wide open. Except for perhaps Florence Pugh, who gives a great a great performance in this movie. She is truly just uh, great. I don't know. There's no other way to put it. She is fantastic. Yeah, I I, I don't even know what else we can talk about without spoilers, honestly. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain. Like, I, I think, yeah, even my qualms are, yeah, they have to be spoilers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, again, you know, we don't want to ruin the fun for anyone who's into it. It sounds sure. like we're all pretty into it and think that people should go check it out. Which is yeah, great. My, I was yeah. legitimately expecting Michael to come in here, guns blazing, being like, this movie's a piece of shit, and I fucking hate it. It's like Mother, but worse. No, I really don't like the first ten minutes. I will say that. I actually I, I, think I agree with Michael, despite the fact that I do love the film. Oh, I... Okay, we're gonna have to talk about that, because you need gonna, those ten minutes for the ending to make any kind of sense to you. But, there um, is a way to do it, though. Come no, on. I... No, alright, we'll, we'll talk about all it. Alright, let's do this. Before we, before we do... I want to we we do this every now and then where we talk about the trailers that play before a movie and what that says about the movie and what we thought about them. And this this had to have like the greatest stretch of trailers that I've ever seen before a movie. And it actually got me hyped for it. It had Crawl, which we're talking about next week and which I've never Ooh. been more excited for a movie in my life. Oh, I'm right there with you. Oh, fucking goodness. alligator in Florida eating people. I'm, I'm there for it. I am. Yeah. I am there for it. Once upon a time in Hollywood, we don't really need to talk about it. Chapter two, which I had been <laughs> skeptical of, but now I'm sort of on board. Oh, um, 21 Bridges. Oh, was which it more looks of like, the old naked people? Yeah, scary. the old naked woman one. <laughs> yeah, that's all, that tipped it over the edge. <laughs> I only want it's to just see 20 it. minutes of that. <laughs> I, I want in the trailer, Bill Hader talking to Skarsgård in the clown makeup, which I think he talked about on like uh seth myers or something <laughs> but bill Hader was constantly cracking jokes with scars card so he always whenever he was supposed to look scared he looked like he'd just been laughing that's okay i want to see that bill Hader is great i love him in barry there is a there's an episode of barry where he has to like do some army shit and like reload a gun and he said that like he fucked up so many times and then the one time he did it right he pretty much ruined the take and they had to cut away early because he was so excited that he did it right that he smiled <laughs> which in that moment he would not have done um what else the farewell which uh my grandmother literally just passed and so the farewell nearly ripped my guts out before the midsummer even started 21 bridges is a great little 90s actioner like programmer that we we're somehow getting and then ready or not Ready or not looks like I hope it's good. That I okay. I started watching. It, I was like, uh, this is like that truth or dare movie where it's like a really dumb pretense for like just adapting a childhood. Oh, game. that's a fun movie though. The, the, I didn't see it. <laughs> the, but, the one where they do like saw style uh, things to win money. Is that what you're yeah. talking about? No, no, yeah, no. It's the one where like rather, that's it's the forgetting. one where like a Mexican ghost haunts them and like. Text them and people smile weird. (laughs) Anyway, it looked terrible. I didn't see it. But then Ready or Not comes in and is like, haha, it's actually going to be the funniest, weirdest, most awesome thing you've ever seen. Adam Brody. I know Adam Brody's in it. There's a there's a great line where this guy's like, you wanted to get married. And the girl is like furious at him. 
Death, yeah, the death glare. Yeah, because yeah, like the last movie I saw trailers before was Toy Story Four, which as a kids movie, you're just sitting there like, oh, for God's sakes, get me to the Pixar so I can get away from this blue sky bullshit. But I this this movie had good trailers in front of it. I really want to talk about Ready or Not in some in some way on this podcast now. But that's it. That's our trailer corner. Look forward to next week when we do it all over again. Uh, and now we can get into spoilers for Midsummer. So if you haven't seen it, get away. We don't fucking need you here. <laughs> so the first 10 minutes of this movie are a perfect illustration of her shitty relationship with her boyfriend, his lack of engagement, his lack of care, and the way in which our culture makes us interact with people who are grieving or in pain. And I found it to be chilling and and discomforting, and it perfectly set the tone to contrast against everything else that we see in the rest of the movie. And it makes Danny's turn at the end of the movie just make so much sense to me. I, I, I think the problem there is a similar problem I had with Hereditary in the sense that I don't think Ari Esther is, is very smart about mental illness in the sense that they literally up front have to say that it's a his or excuse me, that's her bipolar sister. The way that then uh, then the juxtaposition of the panic attacks as well as the reveal of how her sister uh, took her parents uh, along with her in grisly fashion that reminded me of uh, – wait, that's a spoiler. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, that <laughs> reminded me of another movie. But, uh, wait, like a recent <laughs> movie? No. <laughs> no. Um, anyway, uh, that sequence is something that I think how – it's shot it is almost it's almost too glossy and I think in the same way that hereditary needs a death as a foundation, there's just something just something kind of glib and easy about the tone of that and especially especially in relation my final thing I'll say is in relation to I I, I don't know. I think that the how ghoulish Josh and Powell and uh, Mark are and, and, and Christian are immediately in that first scene is again just too easy. Like like you set it up as something that you can then obviously trigger, but it reminded me a lot of like the hereditary, which almost felt like a series of like emotional mousetraps that were constantly being set off. And so, so that's when Aster really loses me is when his uh, emotional intendance, excuse me, intelligence has to contend with his own like kind of obsession with foreshadowing. Yeah, see, I, I landed somewhere similarly, although I think it was less um, like like for me, I, I do agree with Brian in the sense that I think that it is there for a purpose. I do think, though, that and this is kind of Aster's thing. So that's going to be whether I think for people who, you know, maybe I have some critic colleagues who aren't fans of Aster. I think that they would point out that something like his awareness of construction and the way that he, um, you know, 
positions that. And I thought the way that it was also positioned as kind of like a prologue, like someone's pain like that, just being weaponized as like a almost like a context clue or like a, I, <laughs> for me, it, it almost I, I wouldn't go as far as to say this. I mean, I'm being glib when I say this, but it read to like an Easter egg almost watching that sequence <laughs> and just the, the 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 symmetrical compositions and the ostentatious camera moves, the, the, the things that get him compared to Kubrick for whatever reason, I guess. Or um, rogue. Yeah, I, I did feel like that, you know, using the combination of that and the subject matter did come off like he wasn't passionate or empathetic about what he was depicting, um, which is something that also I will say I liked about Hereditary. I liked the idea that this guy, this, I mean, Aster to me seems like a really mean spirited kind of cruel person <laughs> in as a filmmaker, I don't know about it, you know, as an actual individual or not, but I think that the fact that he, again, constructs these meat grinders to just shove his characters into, um, and I, I do think that the fact that he opens on, like, on something so gruesome like that right off the start, it does prepare you for what you're about to see, but I also agree with Brian that I think that by the time I got into the movie, and especially by the time I got to the end of the movie, I was more forgiving of it, mostly because, uh, he bookends the film with something essentially as gruesome, but with a completely different reaction that is supposed to kind of have you understand the journey that was just went on. And I did find it viscerally effective, if not necessarily, you know, uh, as maybe rich in character as I think he might Astor might think it is. Um, but yeah, that's that. That was my view, at least on the opening ten minutes, which obviously depicts the. I, I think we mentioned it, but depicts the um, murder suicide of uh, the sister and and the parents via uh, <laughs> exhaust. The exhaust in the cars. It looks like she like set up tubes and yeah. put them into everyone's mouths. It's, it's involved. Yeah, she she put a lot of fucking work into it. Oh yeah, well, and and, and I mean again, it's it's Aster's kind of thing, but just like the visual trickery of it the way that he introduces you to the parents who appear to be sleeping listening to the phone message that they're missing um and then you cut back to the exact same shot but knowing that they have just been they've been suffocated in their sleep um again the way that he tries to like recontextualize that that image for you or kind of like it, it feels like he's really early on starting out with this really cruel gruesome sense of visual rhyming <laughs> eventually that kind of like takes over the the film as he foreshadows just about every single gruesome death that takes place in this film um again sort of bouncing off of hereditary's kind of like these characters trying to resist a kind of inevitable fate there's something similar happening here which kind of leads me to believe that aster <laughs> that doesn't think too highly of you know figuring things out through interiority or communication or <laughs> He views bodily uh, transition, I think, <laughs> as as more of a uh, uh, answer. Yeah, I, I I think that no, I I I I can't truly fault that for when I I mean it's I, as much as I honestly find it a, a little bit 
glib then in in the way that it's eventually used and comes back like yeah, it, it, it's it, very clearly and it, it, it's very clearly something that is intention and even like textured throughout the film like it, you know one of it my just comes across self-satisfied i think would sure. be my main thing about it and to do that with something that feels so what what's supposed to be like painful and meaningful to your character does feel i think i think michael had it right when he said that the the word was glib i guess I don't yeah, know. I, I don't, disingenuous. I don't find it to be glib. I find it to to kind of play into the way that those situations can feel in the moment, like a very heightened, terrible mm. kind of er reality. Mm. So, like when I see things like that with the the, symmet- the symmetrical compositions and the, the the blocking with someone in a mirror and the kind of horrific slow pans that bring you to the the site of these murders and stuff like that's that stuff feels unreal in a realistic way to me it's it's the type of thing that mm. better reflects reality than if you just kind of did it in a verite style right so sort of feel like it's kind of like uh dreamy i guess yeah. you're you're, like you're in her head like you know, yeah I don't want to brag, I could, but I I've had that. to get a lot of words about people who in my life who have died. And, um, <laughs> the- sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh no, that was a joke. I mean, you, you're supposed to laugh at it. Okay. Um, Good. you know, and each of those times when I think back on it, I think of like the phone just seems huge and mm. my brain like zeros in on the texts that are like, Hey man, we can't get a hold of you. Call us when you get this. And, like, I add mood lighting, I think, to, like, the alcoves that I've, like, ducked into to, like, call people to find out who has passed. And um, so, yeah, seeing it in that way, like, it, it reflects my own retroactive experience of thinking about those moments. Mm. And that kind so- of, like, all-encompassing panic of, like, feeling in your bones that something is happening that is wrong, but not being able to do anything about it because you're so removed. Like so, the ghastliness is almost like it, it makes it feel more right to you. Correct. Like it, yes. Well, so I like when I, I I'd like no, please, Brent. Go ahead. I was gonna say so. Like when I've when the the one time that I think that I watched someone die, I was on a highway and I took a turn or like came over a hill and I saw a cloud of dust. And as I drove through that cloud of dust, I looked to the side and there was like a green suburban that was flipped over and there was an arm hanging out the window. And it happened so fast that it just felt almost like I had made it up in my mind. And I Mm. called the police still driving. And it wasn't until like I had hung up with them that I was like, oh, fuck, I should have stopped and tried to help that person if indeed they were still alive and like, but my brain had kind of like just told me like, well, you can't do anything. You just got to call the cops and let them handle it. Uh Also, you're going 80. Like, you know, you, by the time you slow down safely to help, you're going to be like half a mile away. And so like thinking of that, like that's how that usually happens in real life. Like I'm sure those firemen breaking into that house had a very different experience than this young woman who is finding out all this and is, feeling the run-up to it did and so yeah giving it that kind of sheen like that more openly horrific thing and the fact that that's one of the few that is like literally the only scene 
that is shot like a horror movie like mm-hmm. really helps to nail home the fact that Aster is more interested in the like emotional violence as a form of terror than actual physical violence. Well, it's it's interesting that almost the entire movie after the opening sequence all takes place in in broad daylight slash Swedish daylight, which which <laughs> can midnight be, sun. Yes, Swedish daylight can, is by far my favorite shade of Sherwin Williams. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I mean, I think it's interesting that 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 whole sequence is shot the way it is. All of that, like when she calls him at the bar, where are they at? They're out out there. It's at night, right? When she calls him initially, it's at night. Um, pretty much everything that takes place, all in that in that first opening sequence, is all at night, except for like her learning about the trip and then or her being invited uh to meet the other guys and then like tell them spring upon them hey she's gonna be coming (laughs) like i think that takes place during daylight but other than that like everything before that is pretty much night 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 and then we snap to sweden and everything's happening in broad daylight you know well well, i was gonna say and i i could be wrong about this but i'm pretty sure all the stuff that takes place in america is interior no it's in like apartments and bars mm-hmm. and like there's there's nowhere where they're like outside on the streets anywhere or in the sunlight of any kind like i think well, that's what you're saying I mean, but at the same just that exterior shot at the beginning that that's oh, right. exception and no people in that obviously but you know, <laughs> establishing shot right yeah. but all the, all the conversations where they're like this is what she's going through this is why we need to take her on the trip like it's happening in uh bars and apartments and i mean even when they go from when they uh, eventually have the big conversation where they go back to their apartment and she confronts him about the fact that, you know, he was at a party talking about how he was going to Sweden in two weeks and he has his ticket already. And she was like, I didn't know you were going. <laughs> and she yeah. was like, so that's not a problem. You should just tell me that you're going. And then, you know, he I guess he feels guilted into taking her along. Mm-hmm. Um, and we should establish pretty early on that uh, this whole thing it branches out is an, and is, is an, ex, you know, an externalization of this couple's breakup which is what Astor kind of conceived the movie to to be is that um christian and danny are um you know she he's he's kind of gaslighting her a little bit into thinking that you know that her 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 pain and her anguish is sort of inconvenient to him and he sort of acts the part of being understanding and being um, you know, he knows what he's supposed to do in kind of like a more kind of like a sociopath kind of way. He knows the rituals of how a good boyfriend should act. Um, but he can really only put it on to a certain point. And then when it becomes inconvenient to what he wants to do in his life, he kind of immediately shuts down or tries to move past it or blame her until she caves. Right. Um, there's a and- great, I love that early scene right after the, kind of first ritual suicides where uh, she's trying to talk to him and he's interviewing the guy for his thesis. And he's like, you know, has his arm around Danny, but it is so, it's so not clear that, that he's not listening to how traumatized she is about by what she's just seen. Yeah. He's like, Oh, she's fucking complaining about stuff again. Okay. Like arm around her. I have a question about incest, sir. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to pat her head at one point. Like, like branching off her very real concerns 
let's go back to my thesis. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of love too that it's. I, you know, you could probably quibble that these two scenes are unnecessary right after each other. But the fact that both Josh and Christian are both – they're talking about incest and inbreeding respectively. <laughs> like just the fact that they're having almost the same conversation in two different places <laughs> that they cut back and forth. Like there – it is clear that there's like – I guess going back to what you guys were saying is that like there are way more intentional comedic rhythms here. Um, but I, I still hesitate to say just how that works with some of the more, um, emotional moments. I, I really like here, uh, I, this is the last time I'll jump around. The last thing I wanted to say was, uh, my favorite scene of the, the film, I think is blunted and it's a juxtap- juxtaposition between, uh, Danny and the other women of Midsummer having kind of this collective panic attack. And uh, that's juxtaposed with uh, with uh, Christian having having sex with the woman in kind of the fertility ritual. And I think that the editing of that is is such a, a clear reason why I don't like Astor's approach is because I just wanted more of that extremely raw moment of of Danny. And it, it just keeps going back and forth to that sex scene. And it's it's that stuff that that uh, fully kind of like affirms my more glib feelings about him as a filmmaker. I, I mean, did you guys have any problems with scenes like that or at times when the comedic rhythms got caught up with the dramatic rhythms? No, I, I actually thought that the final half hour was perhaps his most like clear sustained vision of what he was actually been trying to accomplish for two whole movies agreed um Mm -hmm. um i actually thought the cross cutting was i found it to be honest i found it kind of unbearable in an intentional way um (laughs) where she's reacting to it and almost like you know she's she's trying to release and escape it and then he keeps smash cutting right back to it and the way that he frames the sort of ritual with Christian is obviously, yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is, is so obviously like absurd and humorous, but also, uh, I mean, there's no kind of like mincing words on it. Like they drugged him and and raped him basically. So Mm -hmm. like there, there's a, there's a whole aspect to that. Watching that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and but, but also well. you're laughing uncomfortably at the same time. So he, and then you're going back to so you know you're moving from that and then going back to like a raw expression of pain, which again is also sort of made humorous by the fact that the entire cult family is trying to replicate that in sure. their own form of like a familial empathy. They're trying, they're unleashing that expression of you know uh, panic and and screaming at the same time. Mm-hmm. So to move between those two scenes. And just that the final half hour expression of uh, of the film where uh, the, just the whole sort of cult frenzy itself where it finally just doesn't even bother talking anymore and just kind of has people, you know, reacting completely physically. Um, I, I thought that was maybe the best thing that he's directed thus far, though I do understand at the same time that I think people is like if you're not a fan of, you know, or you're skeptical of what Aster is doing as a filmmaker, um, that that isn't going to work for you. So I do completely understand at the same time. It's just for me, I do find that despite the fact that, you know, people, you know, are kind of like throwing claims 
at at him that you know he's a little pretentious or self-satisfied about what he's doing and that maybe the ideas are a little bit more simplistic than uh than the formally austere like confidence that he executes them with is Mm -hmm. i i do get the gripes um but i also think that you know the, the the combination of turning these you know what he's making art dramas into these elaborately constructed um just like uh you know bodily destroyers basically um reveals something perverse yeah the way that he just wields that stuff like a sledgehammer is viscerally effective to me and reveals something perverse and unhinged about what he thinks about relationships and communication that i uh you know that I find uh, really interesting and kind of its own form of idio and syncretic like exploitation that I don't think that I've seen before quite like this. Um, so for, for me, uh, everything that happens in the final half hour of this film made all of my qualms completely uh, almost go away. Like it, it was worth it to get there. Yeah. To me, I mean that, that final, that whole final sequence, I mean, it was, it was kind of, strangely beautiful treatise on like community and how one could find themselves comforted by something so bizarre and so strange yeah. and really fold themselves into it. Um, you have this, 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 the, the redhead, uh, Inga, I think her name is who, um, we'll go with it. Yeah. I don't know, uh, <laughs> is, is, is losing her virginity and is, you know, aiding in the ritualistic rape of this man and the women around her are are mimicking the noises that she is making. And meanwhile, Danny is having a breakdown. And instead of having to run into a place and be alone with it and feel terrible alone, or in the case of the, the moment when her parents died, you know, crying into Jack Rayner's like unyielding, unfeeling arms. <laughs> She's surrounded by these people who aren't trying to tell her it's going to be okay or aren't telling her that it's for a greater good, but are simply mirroring her panic and her distraught kind of devastation to the point where she feels comfortable with doing it even more and doesn't have to hold back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, I was Strength watching in numbers, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, and it was, it, it all goes into what Pelly was saying about like, you know, you lost your parents and you were like alone, but I lost my parents and I was here amongst all these people who cared for me and understood and were there for me. Like, isn't that better? Like, doesn't that sound better? And <laughs> watching it, you're just like, fuck yeah. I like love that. It just seems great because it's awkward at first, but then you see her like locking eyes with these girls and screaming and all of them screaming back. And they're telling her like, yeah, it sucks and you're hurt and it's fine. And we're here with you. And like from that moment on, like it, it affirmed everything that I felt about the movie and this concept of like how you get sucked into something like this and how you find solace and peace in it and how you end up becoming a part of it in a way that you're really like, well, like, she is the person who's able to dance around the maypole the longest with the help of some drugs. Uh, but also just because it's like the first time that she like unabashedly smiles in the movie. Like she's just getting some weird kind of joy about dancing as a means of like showing their. And communicating of, in Swedish. Right. Like their lack <laughs> one of my other favorite scenes. Death. And then suddenly she's talking to this girl in Swedish. And she's like, oh, shit, I understand you. And the girl's like, yeah, isn't this great? Like, don't you want to do this? And it's <laughs> it's so weird because it's like 
She's found a release in this community and in this strange ritual, and it has allowed her to literally bridge the language gap that otherwise has kept her in the dark about everything that's happening. There's such an interesting idea, too, in the sense of, like, when you think about the horror genre and its history, about the idea of people caught in bad situations and whether they accept and resist. And so often it's resistance. You know, if you want to go into, like, the idea of cultural tourism as horror, you know, you could go to something like Hostel or uh, any number of things. I'm sorry? Green Inferno. Yeah. The, Eli the works of Eli Cannon. Roth. <laughs> <laughs> the knock, knock. Let's, let's get talking about Eli Roth. Anyway, like those things, they're all about running away from that. Where this, uh, Brian, I think you're getting at how it's like various forms of acceptance and like understanding how someone would, would embrace this, uh, you know, purging at a certain point even as it takes forms that were more violent than they expected. Well, I mean, they, they talk about it. They mentioned that like, we have to bring in outsiders because otherwise our stock, you know, gets a little, uh, in entwined. Um, so yeah, there has to be outsiders that have to come in from time to time. And these are, you, you have to start to understand, like, if you are not born and raised in this, how would you ever accept this? And she is kind of the perfect foil who's so resistant at first that she just wants to run away almost immediately. Right. Um, she never expressly says that, but as soon as uh, the other couple starts to, you know, pack their bags and starts to make moves to leave, she's like, you can see it in her eyes. Like, why the fuck aren't we doing this? Like, I don't give a shit about your your thesis. Like, this is dumb. We should leave. <laughs> like, this is bad. You know, yeah, this, this, and, this whole movie is largely just about how a Scandinavian murder cult is more emotionally available than an anthropological <laughs> uh, Jack master Rainer. student. Yeah, yeah that <laughs> checks out. <laughs> in the middle of their thesis, yes. Jack Rayner, <laughs> who is not kind to anyone in this no, whole... I, 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 I found the brief detour into the academia ethics uh, actually kind of uh, really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because he just he he wanders in and yeah, he's just like, hey, man, I've decided to do my thesis on your thesis. And <laughs> uh, yep. William Jackson Harper's yep. just like, are you fucking kidding me? Seriously, old- dude? Seriously, yeah. well, good and, and, old cheaty. And I love that he directly addresses um, Christian's manipulation in that moment because yeah. it's something that Danny never does to him. Even though I think that she can sense it and that she can see it, but she always is afraid of pushing him. Whereas Josh in that moment is like completely prepared to be like, "Do you do you think I'm an idiot? Do you think I don't see that you are trying to use politeness?" And, um, you know, academic words to just steal my thesis. <laughs> it's uh, so great to see Danny's reaction to when when Josh is gone and, you know, dead at that point. And Christian's just like, oh, we we want nothing to do with him. We barely know mm-hmm. him. And you see Danny's face. Her face like, is so good in that. Fuck? I think yeah. There was a part of me that was like, is he under the influence of something or is he really just this much of an <laughs> asshole? And it's only really coming out now. Like it's and I the, the no, one he's of a my total ladder climbing sociopath by the end, <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
um one of my one of my biggest like I guess he created Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> you like one of my biggest like you go girl kind of laugh cheer lines was when she's like it doesn't make any sense like why would that one guy leave without his girlfriend and he's like you know he probably just was freaked out and left and didn't think about it and she just stares into the mid distance and without looking at him says I guess you would do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I can see you doing something like that exactly. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, what I was like, that's yes, supposed that's to be great. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we, we should mention um, the brief detours into gore in this film mm-hmm. uh, before b- before we, we we leave the uh, b- before we leave everybody here. Uh, you cannot you cannot put a a giant sledgehammer that looks uh like <laughs> like freshly sheened like nice and clean and yep. you're just like oh yeah that's gonna get used. <laughs> no, ex- exactly. Me and my buddy had the exact same reaction as soon as we saw just this slow like dolly across all of the cultists <laughs> and one's holding a giant oversized sledgehammer. I was like, that's going into someone's face, right? That's yeah. the only response to that image. Yeah, the, the fact that it it even looked like it had like a meat tenderizer on the end. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, there's no practical purpose for that. Not many things for... that these people have are purely for ceremony. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, and I I couldn't get over this this scene. I guess they they call it the the Edis, Edis Tupa, I think is what they call it in the film. The sort of like ritual suicide did you watch, of, of did you the watch elders. This with the subtitles, <laughs> he types it into his phone at some yeah, point. Yeah, he does exactly. Uh, oh, 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 I I thought he said something else. Okay, so yeah, that's that's what that was. And it's and, fucked up because Josh knew what it was. And, and he refused to tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. We don't That's know. So bizarre. We don't know exactly No wonder he's in the doing. bad place. Spoilers <laughs> for the good place. Uh, um, we don't know exactly what he knew, but. He asked if it's authentic. <laughs> and the guy at Pele is like, yeah, it's pretty real. <laughs> Have you seen Conan the Barbarian? You know the scene with James Earl Jones? Yeah, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> no there's two people who could have that's the that's like the one thing though is like there's like i guess you can't tell people what's gonna happen because then like they just won't witness it and you kind of want them to but i feel like you should build them up a little bit <laughs> like, no, I, I i will say that scene genuinely shocked me um when it when it, and i mean i knew i was watching the guy you know the movie by the guy who made hereditary so i don't know why necessarily <laughs> i just i wasn't expecting that to be as sort of like sticky and tangible of of the effects of the face smashing into the rocks Mm -hmm. um and also all of the character reactions were just completely not what i was expecting i didn't realize that they were anthropology students until that scene when they go back and josh is clearly just excited he's like how did you not realize they were anthropology students i don't know i just either i didn't pick up on it or i didn't realize that that was what this was all a part of like i thought it was mostly like it was like you know a coachella type thing like they were gonna go have a good time i did not realize that this was like the subject and that this was what he was hoping for so when that reaction came up where they both just watched these two people commit suicide and one uh fails pretty gruesomely and then gets his head smashed in um you know as uh um uh shit i don't know i'm missing the word here uh as relief uh for it yeah um i i wasn't expecting 
most of them to be like, oh, my God, that sounds awesome. That's exactly why we came here. <laughs> I'm so glad uh, for this. And then obviously Will Poulter's reaction. Why didn't you guys wake me up? I would have came why, to in this movie. Why? <laughs> what, what was so I, I got to pick y'all's brain because I have nobody else to ask. Uh, I, I do have Ari Aster's like podcast with the big picture like sitting on my phone. But um, I'm curious why you think the other people smashed his face in because I could understand the first guy. I get it. Like you're <laughs> you're you're. Maybe putting him out of his misery. Yeah, maybe you're quote unquote putting him out of his misery. Maybe you don't need to use such a giant sledgehammer to do that, but you know, whatever. Yeah, you um, do. <laughs> it, are are the others in training? Is that why they have to smash as well? Is I think that, it might have just been on? like a they're Scandinavian murder cult interns, actually. Yeah, they're they're in training. <laughs> no, I think it was like a culpability and a com- a communal thing. But why why was it like it, it seemed like they they weren't like I, I mean okay yeah maybe maybe they're chosen ahead of time and so that's why all four of them like walk out right and it's not just like one guy and he's like you I'm, I want you to help and I want you to help right so I guess yeah. they choose that beforehand and that's of course why they have that guy with the giant sledgehammer just sitting there doesn't he pass it on though he gives it to somebody else yeah yeah he does which is also weird. <laughs> Who uses the other side of it then, right? What? Whoa. Okay. He uses the other side of the hammer, I thought. The non the non meat tenderizer side? Wait, am I am I making this up? I could have sworn that the, he like the person flips it so they use the other side of the hammer. I don't remember that specifically. <laughs> I think it's just a it's just a communal thing. So it's not like there's Lars, the guy who fucking hit that guy in the head with a hammer. Uh-huh. It's like you've got four different people to point to to be like all those people bashed that dude's head in with a hammer. I I get that. I get that. Yep. Okay. It's like okay, so this is fucked up. But the uh, the Manson family did this. Uh, They're think- just really big Gallagher fans. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but the Manson family did that when they were like, okay, uh, this woman is dead. Now everyone take a turn stabbing because we're all going to be in this together. Mm. And that's why, like, one of the, I think it was Sharon Tate had, like, 58 stab wounds or something. Mm -hmm. You know, like, when you do something like that, you don't want people to be able to just point at one person, you know? Sure. There can't be a Lars hitter. Otherwise, yeah. It's it's that you can just point at four. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Right. (laughs) And it's just, like, all these people agreed to it. It's basically, like, we all did it. We all watched. We all knew what was going on. And uh, it's fine. The one thing you cannot do is piss on their tree. Mm-hmm. No. no how about that will poulter skin suit though Pretty uh, good. so good <laughs> i love that because at the end he's got the little jester hat on and there's a there's a, a dance that's done earlier and everyone's like what is this called and they're it's called like skinning the fool mm-hmm. yeah yep. oh, and will poulter's yeah. the fool and he done got skinned yeah and then they stuff him full of straw at the end oh it's good stuff it's i, so I like good. how they hold him by his neck too when they're like putting him in the right place in the hay yeah they like lift him up by his neck I think I think at that point you can stop calling him him and just call it it. Because <laughs> it's trying to be respectful, Bill. His, his body is somewhere. <laughs> yeah, if, his body is somewhere else. If you, yeah, like you know, Michael, let's say that we skinned you. <laughs> would I you already don't like where this started? Okay. Would you want us to call your skin him or your body him or both him? 
Well, I would say it's still part <laughs> no, of the No, no, Michael still needs removed, to answer this. You know? <laughs> You're only given two choices. Skin or body? Is that my two choices? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, this fucking sucks. Where do you okay, think your soul um, lives? Is it in your skin? This is how you know or you've watched cinema when these are the conversations you're happening. <laughs> you're having. I, I'm going to say, I think I'm, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's, it's body. <laughs> All right. See, so we're fine not calling Will Poulter him at that point. Yeah, I agree. Anyway, Josh, yeah, you were going to say something before I forced Michael to answer that uncomfortable question. <laughs> No, I don't. I, I, I mean, I, I think. What is there anything big that we've missed? I mean, I, we do, we do so have to get to the actual our, details of the finale. Our thesis. When are we doing our thesis? When do we turn this in? <laughs> I feel like we're all anthropology on the secret Nazi now. language of the Uthark. <laughs> can I, uh, can I bring down the the mood one more time by complaining about something that I'm, I'm sure curious. that's that's your job here. I, I know, I know, I know. You miss me, Brian. Don't even. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. I just. I, I have a really complicated feelings about especially horror films that take place in other cultures in the sense that I – this is not a solid thesis, but I, I'm beginning to – Sweden had I, it coming. Come on, dude. <laughs> at first glance, I think horror is one of the most curious genres, even if it ultimately gives in to a lot of fears about things. Uh, whether that's bodies or people from other countries or rituals or traditions or any number of things. Like I really was kind of interested in a lot of the in-between not horrifying stuff in this. So when it does kind of continually return to the violent stuff, some of it felt just a little bit perfunctory to me. Like when it comes to how Josh is ultimately dispatched, like when uh, – how – just the way that everything keeps coming back to violence, it, it it feels like there's just a certain lack of imagination to this script that is there in like flashes and I think is also – is what separates it so much from Hereditary. I mean Hereditary was such an insular experience and, and this is so – there's such a – a, a, like majestically like ugly scope to this like we haven't talked that much about the lighting other than it being light but like every single scene of this is overexposed oh it's to the point beautiful sun like, spots and and double double and triple exposures and it's it's so interesting to me that i i guess my ultimate question is like I feel at a loss about whether I can really be frustrated at a movie like this for giving me what it was advertised to give me. (laughs) It's not like I expected anybody to get out alive, but there's such so many interesting little details, whether it's the bizarre feast on LSD tea or the, or the dance we already talked about where this movie fucking becomes, they shoot horses. Don't they for, for 10 (laughs) minutes? Like, like those things are what ultimately stick out to me more than, you know, heads being smashed in and people being burned alive. Do you guys feel like there's any missed opportunities there or am I, I, think if, I don't, if this I don't, is the way that this would happen, then I think you got to stick with it. <laughs> I don't think Ari Aster owes us giving, giving us increasingly gruesome and mysterious and weird ways of people dying. Like I think, I think hereditary was full of that. And so I think we got enough. 
I don't think we we have to have him like play that that note again. Like he does. The man is sewn into a bear. Yeah, <laughs> like, that happens too. You yeah. know, that's like, in L- Laboot's uh, Wicker Man. <laughs> no, no, no. That, but that's that was that was that I, was I Nicholas Cage in a bear suit. I this know, is a legitimate bear. <laughs> I I love that bit in the beginning where the two Londoners walk by and they're like, are we just going to not address the bear like in the room here? <laughs> and the guy's like, what? It's a bear. Like, yeah. 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 What's there to talk I don't about? know what to tell you. It's a goddamn bear. We have bears. Sorry. Exactly. Yeah. The funny thing is, so I feel like they would get in the most trouble if they didn't have a permit to kill that bear. <laughs> It just feels like people all the time like murder people and get away with it. But every now and then you hear someone, it's like, oh, they killed an endangered Kodiak bear and they are getting 40 years in prison. And they and made I, it a family affair as well. So those kids are going to jail as well. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, the <laughs> oh, every kid who Sharon, held a knife and yeah, helped remove those the, intestines is going, going to jail. It's yeah, like Scandinavian murder cult was brought up on charges of animal cruelty and poaching. Uh, <laughs> also, they killed four Americans, but who gives a shit? This poor... <laughs> Poor bear. <laughs> yeah, see, now that would be very hostile. The who well, gives it was, a shit? It, it, it was. It was weird <laughs> that that I was watching them like tear open this bear, and I was like, "What did the bear do to them, though?" Animal sacrifice always gets to me in that way, you know. Like, I assume <laughs> there's a good reason to kill all these people, but you know, the animals. He looks so peaceful. Hey, you don't know that, that bear could have been emotionally unavailable too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it wasn't giving point. me what I wanted, <laughs> but we but but we should we should get to I think the the, the, uh, burning. the yeah the burning itself the big climax of 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 the film which results oh, in the you're not ritual. talking about the the flower dress that like doesn't allow her to fall over at any point oh it's great <laughs> yeah I thought I thought that was that was uh, a way of uh, cinematically like not letting her fall over and i was like this this is emotional torture for me oh and, and, oh, and, and, and the giant hat the flower yes. hat that she has on that's like bobbing back and forth while she's like crying and screaming her eyes out basically yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh it's great with the giant fire in the background it's awesome because shortly after christian is uh raped in the impregnating ceremony and Danny uh, sees a glimpse of it and assumes uh, that, you know, Christian is just cheating on his thesis subject, I guess, <laughs> with his thesis subject. Uh, <laughs> uh, I knew he was cheating on he... his thesis subject, but cheating with it, that's a step too far. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> I, th- this is, this is a, this is a really bad way to begin a sentence. Oh. Just Christian kind of consents. Are you I fucking with me, Michael? Oh, I mean, he consents to leave the bench. He could have stayed there. I'm sorry. The- I yeah, Okay, this is the craziest thing you've ever said. This man is on so many drugs. He is surrounded by so people who well, yeah, will yeah, not allow him to led. not do this. Yeah, and and they, they literally lead him there. They put a flower trail there and they drug him up. And they, then they roofie the there. shit out of him. And, and and what's weird is that Aster specifically highlights this this way because he previously shows disinterest in the in the whole ordeal. Um, mm-hmm. Like every, every time they're like, "This girl really wants to be with you," and he's like, "Cool, I guess. Like, great. 
he's like, I'm not really sure that that's what I'm here for. So it's weird that they, because I mean, Aster goes out of his way to show you that he wasn't very interested. Right, he's not and they, a lech, and he has he's not like a serial cheater, and he feels legitimately bad about the way that he is treating Danny, but doesn't do anything to fix it. Like he's guilty of like crimes of passive aggression. Yeah, well, I think he's guilty of being like just being an asshole. And I oh, think yeah. that's the main thing. I mean, both both as a academic <laughs> student and as a, a a boyfriend who can mostly just sort of like feign understanding at best. But if and his, again, if only his relationship crimes were homicide, it would be manslaughter, not murder. Right. So I think when people were, you know, getting out of the movie and they were talking about words like deserved, I don't think that it was right. I think what was happening was kind of like the dramatic irony of comeuppance was Uh that Danny has been pushed to this. And, you know, obviously it's a sort of like a again, another another Aster farcical misunderstanding. But Danny's decision is even without the knowledge of the idea of you know that that he wasn't really cheating that he was actually being raped i think wouldn't you know that's just kind of like the final nail in the coffin that there was a whole situation that led up to it and i think that just the dramatic irony of watching it all unfold and then having her obviously make the decision to ritually sacrifice christians specifically targeting him um and then doing what amounts to an artful floral fire massacre that would make nbc's hannibal proud um yes. oh yeah there's a lot of hannibal in this movie. i mean there's a direct reference yeah with, uh, that image the, yeah with the the butterfly the angel yeah. exactly yeah. yeah the angel guy that's with literally done in hannibal series yeah the exact yeah. same image um and having that all kind of lead to a moment of kind of cathartic release for Danny of being a literal depiction of cutting toxic people out of your life. Um, just the cutting is a little bit more violent. It's than an extreme. I think it's an extreme yeah, version of, of cutting. Um, but I, I did find it really great because I, obviously the comparison to the wicker man is there, but I've actually watched quite a bit of folk horror and what this more resembled to me was, I don't know if any of you have seen it. The, there's a great film out there from 1968 called Witchfinder general. I looked for it, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> it's it's an amazing film by Michael Reeves and starring Vincent Price. And a big part of that film, uh, what that film is about, is why would you be scared of the supernatural or Satan when the beastly practices of man uh, exist? And it's about sort of like a politician abusing witch burning for his own political goals and just being like, oh, that person's inconvenient to me, burn them kind of deal. But the big ending to that film has to deal with the idea that um, you know, the sort of hero character has been turned beastly and it ends on just the echoing screams of sort of someone who loved him seeing what he's turned into. Um, and that this almost ends on the exact same image of the again, her walking in the floral outfit with the fire going around in the background where they've staged all of the different bodies as ritual sacrifice. And Mm -hmm. it begins as screaming where they are again, it feels like they're sort of mimicking the screaming of the people burning inside the building, which is also a great touch because they were supposed to give them something that would make it not painful, but it still ends up being painful. I Um, wonder if that's like if if they if they believed that it would be painful or if it was kind of like a I think that they did like a Eucharistic thing. I don't know. 
Yeah, I wasn't really sure, but what I what I get, I, it prepared me anyway for the idea that they were going to go peacefully. And then when that guy starts screaming, and then everyone mm-hmm. starts replicating his screaming outside, it's horrifying. And then Danny is screaming, and she's obviously you know had, having having this moment. And then obviously you get these really ostentatious crossfades of uh, of the fire, and Danny's screaming turning into relief and catharsis, yeah. which is just which a is beautiful, a, a great ending. Yeah. <laughs> And, and then you followed up with some Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. <laughs> Did anyone else have any other thoughts on the ending there? You summed up mine pretty well. I'm still like reeling in shock that Michael tried to pull the "it's not quite rape" thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I I had to think about it afterward, and I I couldn't figure out any way that it wasn't. Unfortunately, um, I mean, not unfortunately. We it's have. Part- there's a cultural I don't like anything about that scene. Well, it, so it, it, I wasn't thinking too heavily about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it does make it morally ickier, which is what I think is what Aster is going for, because I think it would be more of like a a more clean release and relief for Danny sure. if he was that much of an asshole. Right. And I but think that I, it's I think imp- it is interesting that he holds off and he says he's not quite that bad, but he still made her feel that bad in right. the same way. If, so if I think, they had I think had a perfect relationship and she saw that she probably wouldn't have cast him to the fire. I think what's, but, what's annoying too is that there's such a like glamorizing, gl- uh, glamorizing like Tumblr ready, ready quality to that scene that like which i scene? i really no the sex scene okay to, to the rape to the rape that i w- wasn't really ever thinking about the ickiness other than the fact like i didn't understand why we were cross-cutting Wait, so i you- will fully admit my rape my rape comment was obviously dumb and i'm not <laughs> trying to i'm not trying to backpedal it but i'm saying nonetheless that i think that i was not thinking about that scene in I, the way I that say, i've thought of many like something like fire walk with me or something like yeah, that no, like I, I, I would say in your defense the scene doesn't play that way and i think that that is sort of intentional i sure. think that that is kind of what he's going for but at the same time the scene does play as kind of almost like absurdly humorous which is a weird way to play a rape scene like if it was a you know a reverse gendered rape scene like that would be uh you would ask her would be already uh burned alive in jail. <laughs> yeah so hard yeah so I, there is something kind of i i could see someone mounting you know a, a critique of that because of my audience i don't know about your guys audience my audience was really laughing their ass off through that sequence well, he okay so like jack rayner apparently in a in a conversation after this movie that i think you can read about on slate.com like you know seemed upset that people were laughing and after the movie was over and they all went up, he said, "Like, who think that Christian got exactly what he deserved?" And people raised his ha- people raised their hands, and he was like, "Not having it." Like, really? See, yeah. that, that that's interesting because I think Aster does present. I like. I, I do think that Aster holds back enough that saying "deserve" is maybe not the right word, but. Right. I do think that is, he, Aster goes out of his way to make you understand why Danny makes that choice. I, I and, and fu- how Christian and I, did and bring I'm with it on that. himself. I fully understand why Danny yeah. makes that choice, but I do not think that he deserves it. You know, it's like when someone cuts me off in traffic and I imagine giving them that little police bump that like makes them spin out and crash into a median. Like, 
They deserve wow. something, but definitely well, you also, not. You that. also just won't find me shedding a tear for Christian in that situation. I, I would recognize that Christian, you know, through his own interpersonal relationships, you know, didn't make friends right, <laughs> uh, no. to get but out of that situation. There's a difference between this guy's a piece of shit, and I want him to be sewn into a bear carcass and burned alive. Right, which which, which is why I think that the conversation that is going to happen of deserved or not, I don't think is the right conversation. Yes. It's just degree. <laughs> I am, um, you know, the degrees pretty high in there. <laughs> Michael, you said it was like Tumblr ready. What did you mean by that? I think that this movie is is way too pretty in a way that a lot of things are blunted. I mean, I've I've talked previously. I, I think I described uh, on rewatching Hereditary. I, I feel like every sequence is orchestrated, and I'm constantly feeling the conductor rather than the <coughs> excuse me rather than the music. And I think that that is present for uh, especially that rape sequence. See, that's interesting to me because like, so when he walks in and there's the women there and the light coming through the top and she's laying on a bed of flowers, I was like, yeah, there's like a hallucinatory, like, you know, nonsensically beautiful image because like, how comfortable could it really be? Having sex on a pile of wildflowers. Sure. And the longer that the scene goes on, I'm sorry, what was that? What is that with an old lady grabbing your cheeks? Right. Well, that's the thing. The longer the scene goes on, you, the more you see like, right, right. This is all ceremony. And just like when you get confirmed and you realize that like <laughs> you're you're fucking you're 13 years old and you're in a suit that your mom bought you yes. last year that barely fits and the tie is too tight and it looks good, but it's impractical as shit and you can't wait for it to be over. Or, you know, to to do a more universally acceptable and thing that people might have done. Anytime you have sex outside of a bedroom, like, it seems like it's going to be romantic to have sex on a beach. And then you realize that you're fucking on sand. sand. (laughs) You know, sure, the moon is out. Sure, the crash of the surf is all around you. But there's sand and there's seashells and some asshole left a beer can. Like, and in the forest, it's even worse because you get up. And you've been bitten by fire ants, and there's trees, and there's like twigs in your hair. This is really Here's a more practical one, Brian. Here's a more practical one. I had sex in a closet, and uh, rug burn is a thing. <laughs> there's a reason why that. bedding I'm is I'm trying to at least pretend that I'm not talking about personal experience, and Bill is just <laughs> my, my straight friend. up like, I banged in a closet. <laughs> yeah. Cars, there's another one. You want to get a cramp real fast, but like, it's one of the, cause during that scene, you know, it goes on for a while cause he's on drugs and he's deeply uncomfortable. And so she has to be like, come on, man, finish. Like I need this baby and you see them and they're just on flowers and the flowers are like pushing into her and she seems vaguely uncomfortable about it. And an old woman has to go and like help him out. And as the further it went on, the more I was like, yeah, this is the, the, the way that like ritual or like romanticism dissolves in the face of like actual reality. Yeah, but it's also staged with such elaborate symmetry that the possible discomfort on many different levels of that sequence is pushed to the side for me. Okay. See, to me, it's the opposite because it's like, if you, if you show me something immaculately, framed and and you know everything looks beautiful and the aesthetics are all there but then you show me the person like tugging their collar or looking uncomfortable it just highlights the fact that the 
absurd production design is there, but it cannot undo like actual physical reality. I, I, I agree. And there are definitely examples where that has been the case, but, but not this one, the, not parts of this one. Okay. I, I'm not, I'm not going to throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. Just, you know, I also just, this, this is just a chance for me to throw out a little pet peeve of mine that Michael, this is not a personal attack on you. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> if we all, have we all seen Mad Men? Just to start that way. <laughs> yes. Yes. So there's an episode of Mad Men that flashes back to Don Draper as a child who gets a fever and is taken care of by uh, like a, a sex worker. A, yeah, I was about to say. I just kept trying not to say whore. Um, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's, it is a whorehouse. <laughs> it is, like, that's the problem is it's a whorehouse. It's the 30s. Like they didn't care back then. But anyway, so M.A. nurses him through the night. He wakes up and he's like, oh, thank God I don't have this fever anymore. And then she comes over and is like, you know flirting with him and then has sex with him and every fucking article the next day like every recap was like don draper was such a stud that as like a 12 or 13 year old boy this like hot whore wanted to have sex with him and like that's how he lost his virginity and i i just remember watching in mounting horror i was like that is fucking rape he cannot consent to that and he's not even like he pretended that he wanted it he legitimately told her to stop a few times and the way that everyone framed it is like, oh, he can't not get it, man. That's just who he is in his bones. And then it took like three weeks for people to be like, I deeply apologize for the way I talked about the assault of a child. There's a possibility that a lot of writers completely misinterpreted Mad Men for years until it became clear that maybe Don Draper not the hero. <laughs> yeah, maybe he is a broken human being who's just trying his best. There was that stupid tweet that someone sent out that was like, finally tried watching Mad Men. Uh, like, when are we going to talk about the fact that Don Draper is like, blah, blah, blah. And everyone was like, uh, clearly someone who paid no attention to anything we've been saying for the past 10 years. That's all an elongated way of me saying that for some reason, uh, like in this movie where it's like, what are we talking about rape? Jack Rayner got to bang a hot redhead. It's like, no dudes. He was drugged. Nice. He was in a community that he felt fearful of. My it's- question to you, Brian, I guess I think would be, do you think that Aster is doing a good job of highlighting that that is the situation? He looked miserable. From the oh, yeah. moment he left that, this, what is her name? Sill? From the moment he left Sill's cabin, he looked like a man who'd just been told he had cancer. Like, oh, I, I have, I have no qualms. I mean, literally, that's what happens. Yeah. On a, on like a, you know, on a, on a plot level. I'm just saying, do you think Astor's filmmaking gets you into the headspace that that's what's happening? Because for my, my, my audience, it was the, it couldn't, it must have been the, the laugh riot of the movie. I, I which, think that which, which, Aster, which then then Aster it sounds to me like Aster might have made a mistake. No, I think Aster <laughs> does everything that he can outside of having like Jack Rayner look into the camera and say like I don't want this, this is bad. And I think that people are just like hardwired to think that men suck and that this shitty dude is totally going to cheat on his girlfriend with this redhead. And that he deserves it. I, you know, I don't want to say like he—he's a character who does not deserve sympathy, on the whole. But like, 
I think people have a way of like doing some sort of like moral transference. Like I read this article once that like, let's say you left your house for like five minutes to go buy a carton of milk. And in that time, your house burned down and your child died. Like people do not blame you for that. But if you left your house for five minutes to go sleep with your neighbor and your house burned down and your child died, people would blame you in a heartbeat. And we have this strange transference that happens where if someone has already crossed a moral boundary, we are more willing to accuse them of or think them guilty of a crime that they still would have had no control over or like still still, you know, didn't deserve. And um, Mm -hmm. so that seems like I'm just curious if you think that the movie and Aster are actually addressing this thematically as like a point. Or on the same page. Because because I feel like if so, the audience is very clearly missing it. I think the audience is very clearly missing it. And I, th- I think it's just because that's the way that like humans are hardwired to look at guys like this. And I think that it, it, it also is in a way a humor, humor us situation that is played up by Rainer's reaction at, at certain moments, right? Like it is it is easy to see why a audience a general audience would see that sequence and then find humor in those kind of situations i think it's because the type of- they are they are deeply unsettling otherwise right and yeah, you uh, you give me something weird like a bunch of naked women like kind of egging this guy on and then like the older lady literally pushing his buttocks from behind like mm-hmm. that there is something <laughs> funny about that it, right. does it's, it it's horrifying but it's yeah so far outside the norm that you're sort of like forced to laugh at it because of the absurdity of it but i i think that like given a couple days people <laughs> would move past the initial uncomfortable laughter and say oh there was something really wrong there mm-hmm. sure sure that, that was that was my reaction when I was watching it. I, I came to the realization thinking about the movie afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, f- I because, felt because it. because that was that wasn't how the scene played for me. And I, I am willing to give Astor the benefit of the doubt that that was what he was aiming for and that he was hoping to complicate Danny's, you know, relief and catharsis as something maybe, um, you know, I, again, that brought me back to what he was kind of saying about Dogville, that, that then she was doing something pretty horrifying, but you have come to understand exactly why she would do that and why it makes sense to her and why she feels that way. Because, you know, as an externalization of all of her bottled up, you know, um, anguish and isolation and I mean, gender imbalances in relationships overall, um, you know, it, uh, you know, it, it, it comes to, you know, it veers from, you know, absurdly sardonically funny to, you know, sort of psychedelic off kilter, you know, corporeal horror. <laughs> and it kind of bounces between those two. And it has her eventually side on the corporeal horror. And, you know, you're su- All right, who lives she feels good about it. <laughs> <laughs> See, for so so I, I, I get that. I think that my issue with people calling this anything like Dogville is that like the whole point of Dogville is this poor woman is like, help me, help me. I need help. There's a bunch of gangsters who are after me. And the town is like about to spoil Dogville. Yeah, I'm going to spoil Dogville. I, I haven't seen Dogville yet. Fucking with me? Dogville. It's been like ten years. It's also about three hours. I haven't watched it recently. <sighs> <laughs> anyway, I will not spoil Dogville specifically, but the movie Fine. is about 
a woman who comes to a place seeking refuge and these people pretending to be pious and nice, but then using and brutalizing her to the point where she unleashes hell upon them. And to me, I think you need that. that Right. And you don't think that that's the trajectory happening here. I do not know because she comes here that's and everyone's like, come and join us. We're fucking awesome. And she's like, oh, okay, uh, I don't really want to until she finally does. Like, she's right, but not. That, that, that wouldn't be the trajectory for the village people. That's why I think it would be a subversion. She's joining the village people in unleashing hell you on keep the toxic the men people. in her life. <laughs> but you, I would say that the trajectory is very similar in the sense that she is doing that to the, the group of men who aren't really her friends. But her relationship to them is completely based on a relationship that is being faked by one party. Well, she only unleashes it on one person. True. And it's but not you don't a think power that that's that a symbol for getting rid of all of them. They're all burning in the same building together. Yeah, but she didn't do mm. it. Yeah, she doesn't. She's not choosing that specifically. Like, that's already been done. Yeah, that, that's uh, going to happen. I I, I feel like that's one of those situations where she cannot – she doesn't have the control there. Um, she just danced really long. So she gets to choose this one thing. But again, so. I think – I just want to point out I think her dancing for that long is is influenced by her as a person and everything that she's been through mm. and what she's finding here. I don't think it's – I don't think she just randomly won a dance competition. Um Anyway, we could we could litigate this to holy hell. Uh, I think that we have talked through the biggest and best parts of this movie. Uh, if anyone out there in listener land wants to talk to us about this, of course, you could find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show. Uh, every episode of this podcast, including this one, is at thefilmstage.com, so you can comment there. And, of course, you can email us, podcastfilmstage.com. Or if you're one of our lovely patrons who went to patreon.com slash the film stage show and agreed to give us $1 an episode. Uh, you can talk to us on Slack. Yell at us directly. Let us know what side of the hammer was used. <laughs> Please That's the only us. thing that was up for debate in this conversation. Yeah. The rest, I mean, everything else we came firmly down on a binary. The only thing we need to know <laughs> is what that hammer's up to. So Christian deserved it. Is that where we're at? No. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> um, Anyway, uh, yeah, hashtag Christian deserved it. Hashtag justice for Christian. You know what, that, that's going to be the discourse around this movie, and I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Would you kill yourself faster if the discourse around this movie was, was it rape? Maybe. Okay. I'd have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Varying levels of suicide. Would you be the <laughs> face on the rock, or would you be the broken legs hammer to the face? What about exhaust? <laughs> that is an option. <laughs> That is an option. Um, anyway, Josh Lewis, thank you for joining us once again to talk about a movie with uh, this got fucking dark faces getting fucking destroyed, <laughs> and uh, people uh, another two hour, two and a half plus hour movie under your belt. Oh yeah, with a lot of gore. Go check it out. Get in on this uh, fantastic conversation. Hell yeah! Um, so let us uh, tell the fine people at home. Where we could be found between now and the next time, Michael, or no, not, not Michael Snydell, we got a guess. Josh Lewis, if people are curious about more of your thoughts on Midsummer and other movies, where can they find you? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at, at the Josh L, um, or I guess retweeted on the goddamn A24 page, which has destroyed my Twitter for two days now. <laughs> um, 
Twitter give it, but, Twitter take it away. <laughs> but you can also find me uh, podcasting about all kinds of genre and exploitation movies over at Sleezoids Podcast, uh, but on you know whatever podcast listener of choice. And you can find us uh, coming up in the next few weeks. We are actually going to be, as a result of Midsummer, doing a Wicker Man and Witchfinder General episode, um, as well as having movie producer Keith Calder of Blind Spotting and oh, the Guest on to come nice. talk Dog Day Afternoon and the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. So oh damn, are, that is those, a double feature. <laughs> yes, yeah, so those are the next few episodes for us over there. So if you guys have any interest in genre and exploitation movies or anything like that, that's what we do over there. Grimy New York hostage taking movies. Hell yeah. Good times. And I had never seen either. I, I know Ooh. that's crazy. <gasps> yep. It's a good way to but knock I, out some blind spots. I got to knock out Dog Day already, and I was pretty blown away. Nice. All right. Bill Graham. Uh, you can find me debating the choice between Midsummer and Midsommar uh, on Twitter at CableBFG. I've officially decided that's the worst debate that we've <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Uh, it, it, well, it's it's very Twitter uh, centric. It's uh, it's short. It's easy. It's quick. Um, yeah, uh, you can also find me on the Slack mixing it up when I have time. Thank you. I once took part in a Twitter debate about what elevated horror is and blah, blah, blah. And I um, I made someone furious because I kept spelling the witch with two V's. <laughs> and I didn't even know why I was doing it. And he subtweeted me. And I only found it because he actually at one point spoke to me directly. And I was like, who is this guy? I want to see what he's talking about. And I clicked on his thing. And he's like, that moment when you're listening to or like dropping in on a very interesting, like substantive conversation and someone ruins it by spelling the witch with two V's. <laughs> it was one of the proudest moments of my life. Michael Snydell. Don't you have a child? <laughs> yeah. My professional right, you said life, one though. of the. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter not taking shrooms with uh, murder death cults uh, at, at, at Snydell and I'm also on Letterboxd where I'm continuing to write words on nearly everything I watch. I also write occasionally. I mentioned it in the last podcast, but uh, I will have uh, a review of Stuber, which um, – <laughs> Spoiler alert! It's it's fine. <laughs> um, I was about to say, what is your? I, like, I can't even imagine writing a review of a movie like that. Is that the movie you almost spoiled? No, no, no. no. <laughs> You're gonna have to tell us off, Mike, what that movie is. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah, Stu- Stuber's fine. I, Stuber's I, I don't know. Yeah. People are like too vicious about it already. I think it's, it's the name not worth it. The, the name's the name's bad. The name's dumb. But, but yeah, Stu, and he drives an Uber. <laughs> but yeah that'll be on the spool uh so yeah check that out all right um first of all don't forget that you can get a 30-day trial of movie by going to mubi.com slash film stage uh, as for me i can be found on my personal site brian uh my writing and all these podcasts appear at the film and of course, uh, I can be found on Twitter and all the other social medias at uh, at Brian J Rowan. So that is all for today. Um, next week we will be talking about Crawl again, Hell yeah. the most Hell anticipated yeah. movie of my entire life. <laughs> um, it, it went the shallows and then crawl. Uh, but it's a, not screened for critics, which like worries me, but also doesn't at all worry. I don't me, give so. a flying fuck about that. <laughs> <laughs> As lo- like if if the movie delivers, 
hurricane alligators berry pepper, I will be fine with it. What about tornadoes and sharks? I'm not a fan of sharknadoes. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Favorite thing I ever heard on a podcast was Scott Ackerman thinking that Sharknado before he saw it when he just read it was called Sharknado. <laughs> I don't know why. That's the funniest fucking thing I've ever heard. Um, anyway, uh, that's it for today. Join us next week when we talk about Crawl. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Tune in next time. 